turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to be starting a series on the book of Hebrews today. This isn't really a Bible study per se. We're not going through verse by verse like we've done, on, like we do oftentimes on Wednesday night. But what, it's really more of a sort of a march through chapter by chapter. We're going to be looking at key passages and that sort of thing. And we just want to see what the book of Hebrews can teach us about living for Christ in the world today. Because Hebrews is, is one of my favorite, favorite. It, I think it probably is my favorite New Testament book. There's so much there. There's so much. It's so rich. There's so many pictures of Christ in there and so many things that it teaches us. But Hebrews, honestly, is not, not a wildly popular book among most evangelicals. And part of that is because it has a, a, a lot of Old Testament Hebrew references. You know, there, there's a lot about animal sacrifice, you know, and, and that's illegal here. So we, we just kind of just avoid it altogether. So we don't really relate to it. We don't really understand it. And as a result, we don't really dig into it very much. So we're going to start digging into it a little bit. So I encourage you over the next several weeks uh, to start uh, digging in, start reading, uh, start wrestling with. Go ahead and just start tagging along and uh, through the book of Hebrews because we're, we're going to spend some time here. We'll be here, I don't know how long, but we're going to spend quite a bit of time in the book of Hebrews. So before we uh, get into the word, why don't you bow your head and let's just pray and ask the Lord's, for the Lord's help today. Father, I thank you for, for this morning. I thank you for the presence of your spirit in this place. I thank you for these men and women of God. I, and I thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity that we have to, to get together and talk about you. And I pray today, God, that you would stir our hearts and you would stir our minds. And really, Lord, more, more than anything else, I, I just hope that you would uh, give us eyes to see and give us ears to hear because the things that we're talking about this morning are as, are as deep as eternity and as wide as, as the universe. So I pray you'd help us, Lord, and, and stir us and, and, and let us rest in your grace and let us rest in your love. Help us, Lord God, to hear the gospel and to let it digest in us. Because I think so many of us, Lord, we just want a new revelation and we've forgotten the revelation. And so I pray you would help us to help us see just how full and, and rich and, and, and beautiful the cross actually is. And, I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. I have learned over the years that communication is, is much more complex than one might think. Part of that was just getting older and part of it was honestly getting married. Uh, and early on, you know, in life, you, you, you think that simple verbal communication is enough. But we know that communication goes well beyond that. Communication involves at least two people, sometimes even more than that. And there are a lot of different factors that play into whether or not what you're communicating gets heard or doesn't get heard. Like, like, uh, listen, honestly, I was married for like an hour and a half before I found out that it's not really what I say, but what? How I say it, right? That, that was a completely new revelation to me. I was like, what are you talking about? That's not what I said. Well, it's how you said it. We all, I mean, we've all been in that place. And, uh, but apparently, I've learned that how you say it seems to carry a lot of weight. And so I've learned to, to temper that a little bit. And, and then I've learned that sometimes simply verbally speaking something will fall very short, far short of the actual message. And so because of that, there are many other ways that we communicate everything from body language to tone to acts of service to the written word. There are all these ways just to make sure that the message that you're trying to communicate really takes root in the person to whom you're speaking. Now, for me, there are there are many places, but there are two places in particular that communicating is a priority in my life, really three. But I'm just going to mention two of them. The first one, uh, I'll just mention one. Uh, first one would be with my children. But, but even, even, even more than that, it's, it's really communicating with my wife. Uh, one of the questions that I have, I have to consciously think about, because I don't always do this uh, very well, and sometimes I forget, and so I have to remind myself, I have to consciously think about how can I communicate to my wife on every level that I love her, so, so that it is loud and clear, 
so that there is never room for, for even a seed of doubt to come into her soul about how I really feel about her. And I've learned, and I hope most of the men here have learned, that you can't just say, I love you, every once in a while, or even every night, and, and hope that that's going to that's gonna do. Because there, there are some other things I have to add to what I'm saying, so that, so that not just her ears, but her heart and her soul know that I love her. And some of that, you know, it, it may be something as simple as helping around the house, you know, and, and doing the dishes might mean, might help communicate love to her at times and, you know, or, uh, you know, the other, other things. Sometimes it's goofy stuff, like I haven't done this in a long time because, because you don't use CDs anymore, but I remember uh, back when, well, actually it was back, even, I did CDs, but even before that I used to do on tapes, but, but you, anybody ever done one of these things where you make this CD full of, of love songs? You know, you know, this mixtape, this private mixtape and 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 there's songs that kind of express my heart in a way that that I was just not capable of. And or it might be something simple like buying a couple of Reese's peanut butter cups for her when she didn't know I was getting them because nothing says I love you like chocolate and peanut butter. Right. Boy, that's the best amen I've had in three years. (laughs) Well, why do these things matter? Well, they matter because I want to communicate the message that I love my wife, not, not just that I love what she physically looks like, although I'm very grateful for how beautiful she is, and not just that she makes my life work, because she does. And listen, if anything ever happens to Julie, I'm in trouble. And I'm, I mean, I'm in trouble beyond just like, where are things? Uh, I'm, you know, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, I'm in a lot of trouble if something were to ever happen to Julie. So how can I communicate that I love her and do it in such a way that the message is heard loud and clear. The second place this means a lot to me, uh, outside of my family and my, my wife and my children, but the other place where this means a lot to me is with you and with the leadership here at this church. How can I communicate to you loud and clear in a way that you can understand the mission of Jesus and how we're tied into that? And, and then to the leadership of the, of the church. How do, how do I communicate that we are called to be servants? We're called to be slaves to God's people, not to be entitled to special stuff. Now, now, now listen, when I say that there's, we're slaves to the people, that doesn't mean I don't want you calling my staff about doing yard work. That's not what it means. You know, Pastor Jason, where are you? Well, I'm raking somebody's yard. Thank you very much, Pastor Dave. You know, now that's not, that's not what I mean, but it is our job to serve you and to help you grow into the fullness of Christ. That's our job. So how do I communicate that? How do I teach that? Because here's what I've learned, and, and this, is, this is going somewhere. This is going to lead, set up what we're going to be talking about today. I, I know this. Where communication fails, where, where it breaks down, and where what is being said is not heard or it is misinterpreted, and if you're married, you're tracking with me completely on this, then everything from anger to fear to frustration to loneliness to despair takes root. When communication unravels, anger, fear, hopelessness, despair, loneliness, and rage can sink into the soul. Now, in the book of Hebrews... These Jewish Christians, because that's why it's written, it's called Hebrews, because it was written to Jewish Christians. In the book of Hebrews, these Jewish Christians are failing to hear what God is saying. They are misunderstanding and they have ceased to listen. And in so doing, somewhere along the way, they have replaced internal intimacy with Jesus with outward religious activity. Are you tracking with me? Which is very easy for them to do because that was... That was what they were raised in, was this outward religious activity. They, they have ceased pursuing intimacy with Jesus Christ and have put on their religious mask. Whenever you cease to hear the message of God and remain connected to God, you, you will always, always, always replace it with some kind of religious image, some kind of religious facade, and you will neglect the inner realities of the soul. Anybody here ever been there, been there and done that? That ever happened to you? Um, and, and you're saying yes, or you're a liar, <laughs> you know. And so when, when your life is not woven into who God is, 
then you will settle for some religious motif or image. You know, doing things like this is what we say. This is what we do. This is how we act. This is what we watch. This is what we think is funny. And it's all this list of rules and do's and don'ts. And you'll put on this religious cloak and you'll neglect the inner realities of following Jesus. And, and that's what's happened to this group of Jewish Christians in the book of Hebrews. They have lost sight of Jesus. They have started to wallow in despair and anger and frustration and loneliness. And they've missed out on the reality of God, God actively speaking and actively trying to woo them. They have actually, in the face of persecution, they're considering going back to the old way of worshiping and going back to the Old Testament way of worship. That's what Hebrews has written to, it's, it's written to these Christians that are about to give up grace for the law. They're about to walk away from intimacy with Jesus back to the religious facade. And so with, with that as a backdrop, and I, I think we, we, we might be able to relate to that on some level. Let's check out Hebrews chapter 1, starting, starting with verse 1. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1 says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there uh, because I want to clarify something. Because that, those two words, God spoke are huge. They're huge to us because we need to understand this. God is not an idea to be thought about. Are you tracking with me? Right here it says God spoke, right? So, so God spoke speaks of a person saying something. So God is constantly trying to communicate that God needs to be listened to. And the best I can do with limited English language is to say that he is a person to be known, loved, listened to, and obeyed. He's not some abstract reality to be meditated upon. He's, there's, there's a difference that you see that. He, he's not just far off hiding somewhere in space behind Mars saying, dwell on me. You know, that's not, that's not what's happening here. He is actively speaking. He is constantly wooing us saying, hey, listen to me. Hey, let's, let's go this way. Hey, let's watch that. Let's, hey, let's go here. Let's take care of this. So let's keep reading. Verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our, for, uh, to our fathers by the prophets. We'll stop there. Now when the scriptures, when they, here when they reference the Old Testament and they say that God chose to speak it many times and in many ways. I think that's a significant phrase there because... All you have to do is look at all the different styles of writing in the Old Testament and you see how creative and how beautiful God is. See, because we, we tend to have this divide in the church, especially in recent years, where you've got some that are, let's just say they're a little anal retentive. They have to dot every I and cross every T and everything has to be just right. And then you've got the kind of the artistic mindset on the other side. And it's like, well, I know it, it looks like a G, but it's really an I. You know, and, 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 they, and, and you have these two different groups and both of them think that they love Jesus more than the other group. And so that's kind of what, what's happened. But all you have to do is look at all the styles of writing in the Old Testament to see how creative and how beautiful God is. For example, the, the creation story is extremely simple. I can sit down with a five-year-old, and, and, and with a five-year-old, I've got about a 32-second window of opportunity there to speak to them. And so, But in that 32-second window, I can read the creation story right out of the Scripture, right out of Genesis, and they're going to get it. It's very simple. On the first day, God created, and you just go down the line. It's a very, very, very simple. And it moves from that into the, from the simplicity of the creation story to this really straightforward narrative of the patriarchs, you know, Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and all those guys. But then you, you get into the Psalms and you find this poetry and it's, it's, it's really emotion-filled packed with feeling and, and, and oomph and heights and depths and joy and pain. And then you have the majesty of the prophets and, and you have the tenderness of the Song of Solomon, you know, where it says things like, oh, oh my dove uh, in the cleft of the rock, how lovely is your form, how beautiful your voice. So, so you have all these different styles in the Old Testament. Now here's what you always have to remember this. All Scripture teaches all Scripture teaches us something. It's not a random accident that the Bible contains this great variety of styles. It's God saying to us, it's all me. 
It's all me. All through Scripture you have the straightforward, but but then you have the poetic. You have the majesty, and yet you have the drama. You have the mystery of books like Ezekiel and Daniel. I mean, have you read those books? I mean, that's mystery. That's mystery. You have all these different ways that God communicated, but, but, but that's not the thrust of this message, so I apologize. We'll move on. So let's read again, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now, we'll stop there. And I'm going to try to explain a phrase there because it says, in these last days. I want to talk about, explain last days to you because it's it's something that we often misunderstand that little phrase there, last days, what he's really doing, he's breaking time in half. That's what he's doing. He's not talking about necessarily the final few years before Jesus returns. God is breaking time in half. And what he's saying is, this is how I communicated before Jesus. And now this is what I'm saying in the last days in the person of Jesus, that after Jesus, any time after Jesus came, that is the last days. He's saying from the moment Christ was born on, are the last days. And you're probably sitting there thinking, those are some long last days. But, but the, he's making the point here. What he's trying to say is, I communicated this way before. Now I communicate by, by this, by sending my son. These are, are what it means. And when he says last days, what he's saying is that, that, when he, that what he's going to say, what he's going to speak through his son in these last days, that, 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 uh, that what he's going to say through Jesus is so complete that there's never going to be a need for a third form of communication. There's never going to come another age where he has to do something else to say anything else to us. Jesus is his final word. So that's what he's really talking about. So he has spoken in the past through his prophets, and now in his son he is speaking to us today. Now now the interesting part about how this is worded is that that the scriptures are, are not saying that God is going to speak through some of the things that Jesus is going to tell you. It's not just that he's going to say something for me. It says that God is communicating to you and he's communicating to me in the very act of sending Jesus. That that act is God speaking. The fact that he sent Jesus is a message to us. So the question is, if this is how he communicated in the Old Testament, then... What is he trying to say? What is he saying to us in Jesus, through Jesus, and by sending his son Jesus, what is he saying in the New Testament? What is he saying to you by sending to you and me by sending Jesus? Now, the answer to that, in order to answer that, we're going to have to talk about a wildly unpopular idea in our culture, but it's in the text, so we have to handle it. So let's start in verse 3. Look at that. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for, what's what's the word? Sins. After making purification for sins. Ah, the S word. So many people, even in churches, don't want to talk about sin anymore. In fact, it's a wildly unpopular idea for some strange reason. But sin is a reality. That, that's just the bottom line. And, 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 and honestly, you will make a, uh, yourself look like a fool trying to argue otherwise. You, you'll make yourself look like a fool trying to argue that sin doesn't exist. Because if you try to argue that sin doesn't exist, that, then, uh, then what you're really saying is there's no such thing as good and evil. It's all, it's all this social construct. But if you say that, then you're going to be forced to say things like September 11th and, or, or the atrocities that occur every night on the news or, or, the, or the, the atrocities like the, the Uvalde school shooting. You'll be forced to say those things are not wrong or evil if there's no sin. And you'd be a fool to say that. Not to mention that, that, honestly, people who say there's no such thing as sin, they always seem to change their mind if you slap them in the face and take their stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, give me that. Hey, stop that. That's not right. Oh, yeah? Why? (laughs) You know? So people who say there's no sin will eventually make themselves look like fools in trying to defend that belief. No, sin is a reality, and it plagues you, and it plagues me. And one of the ways the church gets off is when we pretend that, like we're not sinful and they are. 
It becomes us versus them instead of we. I, I always like to use the illustration of, you know, that Jesus gives us the cross and we bow, bow down in front of it. But, and what we end up doing is, if, it, if it's us versus them, if we have that mentality, we, we, we sort of lean up against the cross and go, come on, get right, dirty sinner, what's wrong with you? You know, in, instead of kneeling down there ourselves and saying, come on, there's room for you too. Instead, we lean against the side of the cross and say, if you guys knew what I'd know, boy, you'd get right. And it just it makes you look pompous and sad and, and all the things that are really an enemy of what Jesus wants to do. So, yes, sin is a reality. But here is the thing about sin. I want you to hear this. All sin is rooted in a lack of trust. All sin is. All sin is rooted in this idea that God is not for us, does not love us, and does not really want what's best for us. And, and when you don't get into your heart and your mind that Jesus loves you and longs to take you to the best possible life, when, when you believe that that is a lie, you will go against what God wants and begin to hack your own path through life. So where there is no trust for the love of God for you, you'll be forced by your own sinfulness to t pull out your, your machete and, and hack your way through the jungle of life, hoping to come across some fountain of youth or something and never really finding it. All sin is birthed in not trusting that God really loves you and that he really wants the best, best for you. Because all sin says, I believe my way is better than God's way. And this is why I get so frustrated with uh, so, much, so much of our evangelical culture with its gigantic checklist of do's and don'ts. Because when you take the gospel of Jesus Christ and you ratchet it down to a list of external behaviors while ignoring the issues of the heart, you, you've stolen the gospel because that's just not the gospel of Jesus. It's, it's just not. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, teach on holiness or strive for holiness. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying when we make the gospel about you should live this way and act this way and do this, and that's what it means to be saved then we've stolen the gospel. Sin is distrust that leads you to disobedience where you say, my way is better than God's way. My way of living, living is better than God's way. My way of doing life is better than God's. My way of dealing with things in life is better than God's way of dealing with things. What I want is really better for me than what God wants for me. All sin is rooted in that. You, you say things, for example, you say, you, you, you know, marriage is tough. And instead of Instead of doing what God asked me to do and being more faithful and really digging in and trying to heal the marriage, instead I'm going to just ixnay all of that and go find something else and, and find some other outlet, or I'm just going to leave altogether. Instead of doing it God's way, you go your own way and you create, in doing so, you create this really entangled, broken way of living and your soul just begins to shrivel up. And, and I need you to hear this because, you know, it, listen, if you, if you had lived in the 18th century, all you would have heard was that God is angry at sin. That's all you would have heard. I mean, I, I've read some of those books. I've read some, you know, Puritan books where, where everything, God is just waiting to destroy you. You better get right. I, I mean, it's just scary stuff. And I, I mean, I've read some of those Puritan books and I read it. I'm like, man, those guys need a hug. You know, it's just like, you just read it. It's like, man, it's just something's not. But, but then what happens is then in the 20th century, in response to that, the pendulum swung all the way over to the other side to the ever more popular, God is love and he is never angry. Right? And for some reason, people tend to like that a little better. Now the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Because here's the truth. Your sin, my sin, breaks and enrages the heart of God. My sin breaks and enrages the heart of God. And if you don't believe me, just go rent Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. Because you'll see there that the cross is a picture of the rage of God against sin. And at the same time, it's a picture of his indescribable mercy towards sinners. That I didn't have to take that rage. Your sin, my sin, 
breaks the heart of God and enrages the heart of God at the same time. But the good news is that it doesn't just stop there. That's the good news. If you stop there and all you think about how your sin enrages the heart of God, then you're going to miss the gospel because then that's when it becomes with our list of do's and don'ts where we're like, we're a bunch of dirty sinners. Let's sing. You know, it's like, what is, what is that? You know, but no, here's the great news here. And it's found in that same line. Look at verse three again. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making what? After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the, of the majesty on high. After making purification for sins, he sat down. Now, let me ask you this. Is that past, present, or future tense? I saw like six of you go, Oh, oh God, please don't let him call on me. You know, that, that's just testament to our, our educational system. But just for reference, it's past tense. Right? After making purification, he sat down. Past tense. Jesus sitting down. Now we're going to go back to the Jewish mindset here. Remember, this is written to Jewish people. Jesus sitting down for the Jewish mind is representative of the fact that he's done. I'm done. I have purified the sins. I'm done. So after making purification, he was, when he was finished, he sat down. Now, this is perplexing to me because my sins are pretty recent. Right? Anybody relate to that? Like half an hour ago recent. You know what I'm talking about? So if Jesus' purification of sins occurred in the past, where does that leave us in 2022? Well, for those who believe, it leaves us purified. All my sins, past, present, and future, are, are covered. They're paid for by the blood of Christ on the cross. I mean, it's true. I mean, even things I haven't done yet, he still paid for those, those sins, right? I mean, otherwise, if he didn't, I would have to find some way to pay the penalty for those sins. So his blood covers it all, past, present, and future sins. It's there, forgiveness is available, even the sins that are 20 years away right now waiting on me. And now listen, when you begin to preach that, what happens in the minds of people, because we as human beings, we, don't, we never find the, the middle ground. We always go to extremes. That's what we tend to do. And so when you preach that, what happens is that the congregation immediately divides into two, two groups. And there's one group that goes, that's dangerous, Dave. That's dangerous. I mean, people are going to take advantage of that. They're going to say, oh, well, I guess if my sins are covered, I'll just do whatever I want. That's the first group. And then the second group is actually those who say, I'm just going to do whatever I want. That's the second group. And so that's the two groups. It's either, oh, I don't know about that. That's dangerous. We, we should control people. We should build a moral box and, and, and around them to guide them. And, and then there's other group that's like, what? You know, and they're like, uh, and then they won't listen to anything else I say the rest of the day because that's the only thing they wanted to hear, you know, but, but they're already, you know, they're already rolling up a list of debauchery they're going to carry out later on the day and now that they know that all sin has been covered. But, but, and by the way, I want you to know, you're absolutely right. It is absolutely dangerous when you teach this. It's, it's such a dangerous thing that is, has even been a historical problem so much so that even Paul is going to say in the book of Romans, he said, are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? He's, because he made the argument, listen, grace is so much, so much stronger, so much greater. When sin abounds, grace is still greater than that. And, 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 the, and so the argument that some people were making was, hey, if I'm going to be forgiven, no matter how great the sin, if the grace is going to be bigger, then we should just sin it up and make more grace. That was the argument. The people go, oh, I'm forgiven. I'll just do whatever I want. But for the record, Paul answers that in verse 2. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, I, I, so you can see this is a historical tension that has existed as we begin to look at grace and the meaning of this. To begin, when you begin to understand that Jesus paid the penalty for all of my sins, past, present, and future, it doesn't give us carte blanche to be able to say, well, then it doesn't matter what I do. I, I, I just, and I, I want to be honest with you, honestly, if, I, if you can say, I'll do whatever I want because I can just get forgiven later, then the Holy Spirit of Christ does not dwell in you according to Scripture. That is not of God. That is presumptuous. 
and you're presuming that you can manipulate the system to do whatever you want to do and still come out on the, on the winning end in the end. So, so just chew on it. Just try to digest it. It's heavy, but it's the truth. Uh, let, me, let me bring a little clarity to this thing. Look at Hebrews 10, 14. Hebrews 10, 14. Talking about something similar. He said, for by a single offering, that's, that's Jesus on the cross, for by a single offering, he has perfected. He has perfected. He has perfected for all time. Now in Greek, that means all of the times, past, present, and future. Now who has he perfected? For by a single offering, <clears throat> he has perfected for all time those who are being what? Sanctified. Now here's the thing. Sanctified is not a 2022 word. Right? And it doesn't get thrown around. You, don't, you probably did not hear the word sanctified or sanctification in a casual conversation around the water cooler at work this past week. Probably didn't happen. In fact, if you're not a believer in Jesus or if you have no church background, this is one of the words that you never hear about. You may have never heard. You may have no idea what it's about. So let me just try to define it for you. Because even, even in the church we hear it, but we don't really fully get what it's all about. But, so let me try to define it for you. Sanctification is a progressive, which means that it doesn't happen all at once, but it happens over a period of time. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man in the sense that we cooperate with him, but it's a progressive work of God that makes us more and more and more and more free from sin and more and more and more and more like Christ in our actual lives. That's the whole idea behind sanctification is that I'm becoming through God's doing this work in me and I have to cooperate. I have to make the decisions, but he's doing this work in me. That's where I'm more and more free from the sins that used to control me. And I'm also at the same time, more and more like Jesus. That's what it means. That's what it's talking about here. So, so uh, who are those who have been uh, perfected once and for all, for all time by one offering? Well, it's not those who, is, who are saying, well, I'll do whatever I want and I'll, and I'll live however I want uh, because Jesus will forgive me later on. But rather, it's those who are being sanctified, those who are in that process of being changed, those who are in the process of being set more and more and more free from sin and more and more and more uh, into the image of Christ. Those, those, that's the people who are, are perfected. That's the evidence. That's how you know that you're saved is because He's working on you. He's changing you. And if, you, if you're in that process, you know that, that, you're, that, uh, that He's at work. He, you know that you're, that you're perfected. It's so sure that it's even written in past tense when you're, when you're being sanctified. Listen, here's the crazy thing. You and I, as, as unbelievable as this sounds, you and I stand and we, we look perfect to God. Because when he sees us, when he looks at us, he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. That's what the Bible says. He's imputed to us the righteousness of Christ. See, that's, that's amazing. Jesus took our sin on the cross and gave us his righteousness. He declares us not guilty. And, and this is a tough one. And I've talked about this before. It's hard for us because if I'm not careful, I will be convinced that God loves some future version of me. That's where we struggle. Like, like he'll finally really love me when I work this out or he'll finally love me when I get this thing down or he'll finally really love me when I overcome this. And we, we get this thing in our mind that, that, uh, that, that, that he doesn't really love me now, but he loves some future version of me when I figure some of these things out. But according to the sacred scripture of ours, through one offering, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, he made perfect for all times those who are being sanctified. He gave us the righteousness of Christ so that we can stand blameless in his presence, not because we are blameless, but because Christ, who was blameless, gave us that. Okay, now, remember the question, though. The question is, God has spoken through all these creative means, and now God is speaking to us through the Son, and, and what he is saying to us has to do with sin. 
And it has to do with the purification of all sin. So, what's the message that God's trying to communicate through His Son? Well, I think the message is at least twofold. It's probably three or fourfold, probably even more than that. My brain can't figure all of these things out. But, but I know I've only got time for a couple. So, so I, I, I think it's at least twofold. First of all, what He's trying to communicate by sending His Son, the message is love. The message is love. That's why, you know, I, I have a tendency in me to get angry and frustrated with people who picket and boycott and hold up hateful signs. Because they've taken the God who is the purifier of sins and abounds in so much love that the scripture says that that's what he is. It's not just something that he has, it's something that he is. And they, and they boil him down to this old man in the, in the sky with a white beard ready to pounce and destroy sinners. But, but it seems like he's the opposite. By the way, you know, sometimes, you know, like I, re, I know years ago, the Sons of God were a part of it, and we, we boycotted Disney. But, well, I understand you make a stand for righteousness, but at the same time, do you know what that did to the Christians who worked at Disney with their ability to witness? See, it's, a very, it's, a, it's not a, such a cut and dry issue with that. And we have to be very careful about how we respond to, to sin in the world. In fact, you know, can I just say this? We as Christians probably should not be shocked that sinners act like sinners. I mean, is that really a shock? But, but so we get this idea in our mind that, you know, he is this old man with, in the sky with a white beard ready to pounce and destroy sinners. But, but it seems to me like Scripture teaches that he's really the opposite of that. He is ready to pounce, mind you, but, but he's ready to pounce with love and forgiveness. That's a big piece, I would say, that this is a message of love. I would say that God is not the enemy of all that we seek, but He's the author of it. I mean, can you define love better than laying your life down for another? Is there a better definition of, of love than that? I'm like, listen, I, if, if one of my daughters is in the road and doesn't see a car coming, I, man, I'm jumping up and I'm shoving out of the way and I'm taking the car. So what I'm going to do. And I mean, that's, that's what happened with Jesus. He pushed us out of the way of the train wreck of sin in our lives, pushed us out of the way, and He took it. He took it on Himself. I mean, how, how did God get to be the bad guy in our culture? How did He become the enemy of all that is good and all that is really life when He came to make purification of the great plague of mankind, that, that sin? So I would say love is the message. Because that's the reason he, he sent His Son. That's the reason Jesus came. Love is the message. But then I would say that the message is also hope. Hope. Hope that I don't have to be chained to my sin anymore. You know, I, have, I, I don't know if you've ever done this. You ever done any like research on Ancestry.com, that sort of thing? I've done some of that. But just in recent history, from things that I know, the... Looking at my family history, I'm here to tell you that there are a lot of dark, wicked things in my family's past. Can anybody relate with that? There, there, is, there is a history of alcoholism. There's violence and anger. There's abuse. There, there's sexual sin. There, there are all kinds of dark, dark things that honestly, and I'm just going to be honest and open to you, honestly, from, from a very young age, I felt those things wooing me and calling me. But the hope I have because of Christ is that I don't have to be chained to the sins of the past. I, they, don't get, they, don't, they don't get to own me. They, they don't get to master me like they did previous generations. And the hope I have is, is that God is, has not just saved me and He's not just a, then abandoned me to, to try to figure this out on my own, but He is still active in my life. And rather than abandoning me, He is, he is chiseling away on me. He is healing, confronting. He is di disciplining. He's caring. He's loving. He's being gracious to. And He's sanctifying me so that as I go, sin more and more and more loses its power in my life. And my life is more and more and more conform to the image of his son that's what it means to follow jesus so i think it's about love but i also think the message is about hope that we don't have to be what we hate 
And that happens so easily. You know, have you ever, ever known somebody that, that, uh, that focused on, maybe they had a bad dad, uh, you know, an evil father, and they look at them and they say, I will never be like such and such. I'll never be like my dad. I'll never be like him. And then they grow up and become just like him. You ever seen that happen? Well, I think a big part of that is because you tend to become like that which, upon which you focus. So they spend their life focusing on the, the, the evil father. And because they're looking at him, they're transformed into his image without them even realizing it. And so as we gaze upon Christ, as we look on him, as we focus on him, he transforms us over time. We don't have to be what we hate. You know, one of the things I've learned from running with Christians for a long time is that we tend, and I, I see this more and more and more, we tend to want the next great revelation from God. That, and that's why we study tons of stuff, you know, like end times. And, and I'm not saying you shouldn't study those things. It's perfectly legitimate. It's a wonderful thing to study. But it seems like we're hungry for more revelation but we, have, we really haven't digested fully the revelation. You know, the fact that you're loved right now. Not just some future version of you, but right now. The revelation, the, the fact that, that you don't have to be slaves to the sin that whispers to you every morning when you wake up. You can be free from that. And what I'm hoping today is that, is that you'll hear because the, the Jewish Christians to which Hebrews was written had stopped hearing. And when they stopped hearing, they got filled with anger and doubt and despair and loneliness. And they, they began to lose sight of what the missional call of Christ was and, and who they were called to be. And they replaced all of that with a religious facade. And here's what I know about a religious facade. What, the thing I know about a religious facade is that it's really, 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 really lame. You know, it's boring and it's lame and it makes us all that we at one time hated. And it causes us to miss out on the inner realities of life with Jesus. And so I'm, I'm here hoping that you'll hear this morning. Because here's what I know. There are people sitting in this room, people watching on the live stream. And some of you are, 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 are completely exhausted trying to fix yourself up because you've bought into the lie that he'll finally love you when you start this and stop that and you keep failing at it. And it's exhausting. And as a result, you're convinced that he doesn't love you because, you know, here's the thing, when you wear a mask, it's impossible to really receive love. Did you know that? It's like you wear a mask to church and you act one way at church but, and, you, and, you, and people say, oh, I love them. And you go home in bed at night and you say, they don't really love me because they don't really know me. So it's impossible to, to receive love when you're wearing the mask. And so we try to wear a mask and fool God, but we forget that he already, he sees the heart. He knows what's going on there. We can't fool him. And, and yet, we, we, because we wear the mask, we, think, we, we say he can't possibly love me because I'm not who I'm supposed to be. But we forget he does see us. And, be, and even though he does see that in us, he still loves us right now because he knows that if you'll just turn to him, he's going to bring you more and more freedom freedom from all of that junk and you're going to become more and more like Jesus. So I'm hoping that you're here because I don't want you to live that way. Uh, I don't want you to be convinced that he doesn't love you because here, when you're convinced that he doesn't love you, what happens is when you sin, you, you run from him instead of running to him. And it becomes this horrific cycle of promises. Oh, God, I'll never, God, I'll never, God, I'll never. And it becomes this cycle of promises that are never kept. And I'm hoping that you'll hear what I say this morning. Those of you who are stuck in some darkness, you have no reason, hear me, you have no reason to be quiet and secretive about that. 
You, have, you don't have to worry about that. I'm hoping maybe that you'll hear the message this morning and that you'll repent before God and then do something about it. Maybe it's counseling. Maybe it's a recovery ministry. Maybe you'll just you know, grab some uh, guy or some woman that you know that loves Jesus and say, help me, I'm messed up, I'm, I'm broken in this area. I want to be honest with you about this. And, and you'll stop trying to hide it because it's the secrecy that gives it its power. But when it comes out in the open, it withers away in the light. And so you'll, I hope that you'll try that. Because listen, anything is better than the religious facade. Anything is better than wearing the religious mask. Anything is better than pretending, than playing the part. You know what that makes you? A hypocrite. Because that word comes, the Greek meaning of that word means literally one who plays a part. So I hope you'll, 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 you'll hear this if you're, if you're struggling with something. because And, and listen, I'm, I'm not assuming that there are some people in here and say, well, they've, they've walked with God a long time. They probably don't have anything like that. No, because I know we can hide it really well for a long time from people. So I don't care how, how well-respected you are or how, how long you've walked with Jesus. I'm just here to tell you that if there's some area of darkness with which you have struggled over the years... That, that I hope that you'll hear all of this and say, listen, God does love me right now where I am. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to be secret about this. I don't have to keep this quiet. It doesn't mean I'm not saying get up here on, the, you know, on a Sunday morning on a live stream and say, hey, everybody, I want to tell you what a rotten sinner I am. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying find somebody, get into a small group, get into a situation where you can be honest about what you're dealing with. Because until you're honest about it, honestly, I don't know how you find freedom. Because you'll never turn to him for help. So I hope that, that uh, you won't just kind of live on the fringe. And if you don't know Jesus, if you're, or, or if you're on the fringe, I want you to know God spoke. God spoke to us. He is still speaking to us. And he said that he loves you. And he said that there is there's hope that, 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 that you don't have to be trapped by that darkness that's inside of you. He said that the plague of humanity, sin, can be healed and that we're loved by God right now. And on and on and on I could go, but it, it's just the good news. That, that's why it's called the good news. That's why it's called that. Listen, I, I love you. I pray for you. And I pray that these things would just settle into your soul and that you digest them because, because I know that there are some in this room you feel very far from God right now. You feel very far, which by the way, He's right there. It's just a feeling. But you feel very far from God right now. And you're, and you're saying to yourself, oh, oh, if only He'd speak to me. He has. He has. God spoke. The question is not, will he speak? The question is, will you listen? Will you hear what he's saying? Will you hear him when he says, I love you? Will you hear him when he says, I, I don't love some future version. I love you right now. And I love you so much, I'm going to set you free from those, those sins that own you. He said, will you hear him when he says, I, I'm here to give you hope for a future. Will you, will you listen? Will you listen? Would you, would you bow your head? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for these men and women. I, and I pray, Lord God, that we would digest these things today. I, I pray that you would let the, these things settle into the, the really deep places in our souls. And Lord, I, I, I pray that you would free us from a performance-based Christianity that would just have us spinning our wheels, but not really going anywhere and not enjoying the inner realities of who you are. And I pray, God, that, that, that the... That where there is sin, that, uh, that, that, that we would hear you, that you forgive us, and that we would stop trying to hide that because I don't know how salvation occurs if you can't admit that you need it. 
Lord, I, I thank you for the poetry of the Psalms and the tenderness of the Song of Solomon. And thank you for the mystery of Ezekiel and Daniel. I, I thank you for the majesty uh, of, the, of the prophets. And, and I thank you, God, that you're in all of them. And I pray that, that you would drill deep, deep down inside of us today and that we would look toward the process of, of sanctification by, and we would move forward to that, that process through which you destroy our sins and the chains that bind us and you make us more like you. Jesus, you are good. You are beautiful. You are right. And Lord, I pray that I've done at least an adequate job of communicating that today. I pray, Lord, that, that you would let some of these, the, the, these things haunt us, that, that, they, that we wouldn't be able to easily forget these things or let go of them, but rather maybe phrases or words or sentences would just roll through our heads and haunt us all week long. Just change us, Lord God. With heads bowed and eyes closed and nobody's looking around. Listen, I, I'm not here to embarrass anybody. I'm not here. I can't do anything other than pray for you. But if you'd say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray for me. God has spoken to me today. I've been struggling. I've been living in that place where I feel like maybe God loves some future version of me, but I've been struggling with the reality that he loves me now. Or maybe there's been some hidden sin. And you say, I, I know I need to deal with this, but I've been running from God instead of running to Him. But whatever it is, if God's spoken to you today, and you'd say, Pastor, pray for me. Would you slip your hand up right where you are? Yes, yes. All over the place. There are hands all over the place. Maybe you're online. You can just type in the comments, say, pray for me. Because we'll look at those and I'll pray for you. Father, you saw every hand. You see every heart. You look past the, the exterior. You can see past the masks that we wear. And God, I pray you'd help us. Lord, whatever it is you're saying to people, I pray, Lord Jesus, first of all, that they would know how deeply you love them. That they would know the height and the width and the depth and the, and the breadth of, of your love for them. And God, that that love would motivate them to run to you instead of running away from you. And Lord, if there's anybody here that's been struggling with some sin or some uh, secret area where they struggle, where the, it just owns them every time, it owns them, I pray, God, that in Jesus' name, that you would help them to run to you and you would continue that work of sanctification where they're becoming more and more and more free from that sin and becoming more and more and more like you, Jesus. We just lay our lives at your feet. We just offer ourselves to you, warts and all, and just say, Jesus, I trust you. Your way is best. I'm going to stop trying to take things into my own hand. I'm going to stop trying to do things my own way. But I'm going to believe that your way is better. It is best for me. And therefore, God will walk away from those sins. And we thank you for what you're going to do. And I pray, Lord, as we prepare to leave this place, I ask God that you would just let your, your anointing rest upon us. There are going to be, be people we come in contact with this week that, God, that they're going to be walking in anger and frustration because they're walking in darkness. And I pray, Lord, you would just make our lives a light to shine in their lives and they'd begin to see the love and the hope that, that, that you've given to us. And they'd begin to long for that in their lives. So anoint us and use us. Bless us. Let us walk in your grace. Let the world see your favor on our lives and let them ask questions about what we have that they don't have. And I pray that we would, in boldness, with love, tell them about the gospel. And we give you praise in all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.